Hey, everybody. You're talking to a woman who is used to being the only woman in the room. I grew up in a family with three brothers. I worked at Sports Illustrated, Power Bar, a lot of male brands. I now live with my husband and my two sons. So I'm really used to being the only female energy in the room. And normally that's fine with me. But a few years ago, I started to notice that the advertising world was just a little too male, even for someone like me, who was used to being the only chick in the room. And so I started a social change movement to raise awareness of the fact that diverse opinions actually create more creative output, which is good for all of us, men and women. So I am the founder of the 3% Conference, and my name is Kat Gordon. Celebrating the work, lives, and achievements of women in Western North America, The Drum presents Exceptional Women Out West, hosted by The Drum North America Editor-at-Large, Doug Zanger. Let's ask three questions, shall we? Sure. Three is my favorite number. <laughs> there, there you go. Three is the magic number. Let's start with this. Why do we overcomplicate our work? Why is that? I have a theory about that. I'm glad you asked. And I wrote about this on our blog about a year ago. And what I wrote was that any industry you can think of, when a person in that industry is doing their work, there's a really clear demarcation of when you're finished. So if you're a surgeon, you know when you've completed the final stitch on the patient. When you're a chef, you know when the sauce has been reduced to the appropriate consistency. And we work as creatives in this very boundaryless world where you never truly know when you're done, you know, when you've created the perfect logo, when you have the idea that's going to win the pitch, when you've addressed the client's concerns on round three, there's always a little more you could tinker with. There's not a clear sense that you're done. And I told this story about a friend of mine who's an art director who was working very, very late at night at an agency in San Francisco, trying to finish something. Again, the word finish, what what does that even mean? (laughs) And the executive creative director was kind of hanging around waiting for this to be done. And he came over and he whispered in her ear, do you know what the high-pitched sound of perfection sounds like? She kind of looked at him with her eyebrows up and he said, there isn't one, just print it. (laughs) And I think that's a great story to indicate that everything in our business is subjective. And so Mm -hmm. you can become a slave and overcomplicate your work by not having a sense of creating your own boundaries. Had this discussion recently uh, at a panel in New York about how simplicity is really, truly something. And the analogy was, how many of you have traveled to Italy? A few hands went up, and I, I've never been, but this is what I've heard. Um, I said, uh, when you go there, and what I've heard time and time again is, someone said, I had the most amazing meal, and it was a simple piece of fish, and it was a simple pasta, and simple this and simple this. Those were the most memorable things. Are we overcomplicating things because we're trying to make ourselves sound smart or because it's or is it some misguided idea that this is how we evolve we're just gonna have to say a whole bunch of other words just to fill in the gaps yeah that's such a great question and we know from advertising that it's harder to do the small thing than the long form thing right I mean what's that old adage about sorry the copy's so long I didn't have time to make it shorter I mean so (laughs) taking away is actually 
um, the beauty of work. It's, and often your best idea is one of the first you have, and it's just, you know, where you journey with that idea. So I think you're exactly right. We think it can't be that simple, but actually the longer you do creative work, the better you are at doing creative work and possibly nailing it in the first day or, you know, half day or whatever. So I do think that we're kind of slave and because we get paid by the hour or often Mm -hmm. our, you know, agreements with clients are based on hours put in, there's this kind of correlation falsely of, you know, more hours equals better work. And that's not always the case, especially when you reach that law of diminishing returns where you're exhausted or you're depleted or. And that has a whole other set of circumstances, bad things. Who should we be looking at as a role model now? Why is that? The person that leaps to mind for me personally, and I do see a lot of um, praise for her, which I'm happy about, is Cindy Gallup. Um, Mm -hmm. Cindy is the fiercest, most determined, most generous truth teller in the advertising world. And what I love about her is she's never afraid to call out what she sees, but she's able to do it in a way that's so persuasive and indisputable that even if you are part of the problem, um, you can't help but listen. And I think we need that level of clarity. She's never shied away from an imbroglio as it were. Yeah. She's, she's not afraid of anyone or anything, but she's very kind. I mean, that's a very unusual combination. That's the misperception that people might have because it appears as though the perception, the surface of it is, is well, Cindy Gallup's yelling. It's like, no, she's saying something, but if you actually get to know her, it's a totally different, totally different dynamic. I heard her speech at the Cannes Glass Lion Award. Did Mm -hmm. you hear that speech? Um, I didn't hear the speech. Very impassioned. She wasn't yelling. She was really calling out something obvious, an elephant in the room, but she cares so deeply about our industry. I mean, what she kept saying is, would you award our industry a glass lion and calling out things that are broken? And we do need to do that level of you know, self-regard if we're going to, if we're going to survive as an industry. So I think all of her goals are for everybody to contribute more and for the agency world to not be so maligned and, and, you know, for people to think of advertising as just a a nuisance you have to sit through to get to content you really (laughs) want. So I would say Cindy Gallup is the most refreshing and honest voice. So I, she's the one. Yeah. What's the greatest gift you've ever been given? Why is that? The greatest gift I have ever been given was being given sons. And I say that because I always, always, always thought I wanted a daughter. Again, I told you about my always the only girl mm-hmm. in the room. Right, right. Um, and I have to say that watching the male psyche be built from the ground up is so fascinating to me as a woman. There's so much discovery in it for me. And I love, love seeing how their minds work and seeing how they are as social animals. And I learn as much from them as I hope um, they learn from me. So I would say that's a gift I didn't think I wanted. I'm not saying I didn't want sons, but I really, really wanted a girl. And I am so proud to be the mother of two teenage boys. You can tell me about the psyche later (laughs) as I raise my children. How much time do we have? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Does that inform your work at all? I mean, does that inform what you do outside of the family a bit? 
kind of understanding that because there may be, you know, teenage boys, you know, young men in the industry, old men who act like young men. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And even I would say that being married to a man has Mm -hmm. definitely, there are a lot of conversations I've had with my husband about particular conversations I've had with other men where I was a little mystified or I wasn't sure what the takeaway was. And he's so helpful. Um, (laughs) translating. Yeah. I mean, one, I don't know why this story just popped into my head, but back when I was freelancing as a creative director, I had, um, done a project for a new client who was a guy. And, you know, when I sent him the first kind of iteration of the project, I really love to hear feedback. You know, you want to hear thank you, I like it, or I don't like it, or something, and I heard nothing. And I went home, and I was kind of sharing this with my husband, and he said, well, he already gave you his vote of confidence. He hired you. Interesting. And I was like, wow, I never thought about that way. And then maybe a few weeks later, the art director that was working on it called me and said that this client had called the work masterful. He just never said it to me. And so Mm -hmm. that was a really important lesson that... Do I always need those accolades or has someone already endorsed me by giving me the project? It's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good to be told you're doing a good job. But I sure, guess, yeah. but you can't be too reliant you, on that. No, it's not, it's not like candy. Yeah, you can't be too reliant exactly. <laughs> Let's get to the must list. Okay. What is a must do? I think the most important thing, the must do, especially for anyone in our industry, is to sleep more and sleep better. Mm-hmm. Um, we just got a brand new mattress and these like super expensive pillows that are like bricks that you put your head on them and you just kind of like gently settle into it. And for the first few weeks, I was sleeping insane amounts. And I read that sleep deprivation is cumulative. And yes, so once you're like given the green light that you can sleep, your body, you know, kind of hoards it. And it was a powerful reminder that we work so hard and we want to get so much out of ourselves in our waking hours that if you don't take sleep seriously, you just can't do that. I mean, at some point, your body will stop giving you creative inspiration. It will stop giving you energy. It'll stop giving you alertness when you're driving, all sorts of right. things. So I, I really think sleep is imperative. And also just relaxing in general. Oh, hello. Because I will see people in the industry and it's, yeah, I've gotten two hours of sleep in the past four days. This is like, oh, man, yeah. really? It yeah. kind of, it breaks my heart a bit just to see that. I understand the importance of working hard. I'm not, obviously I'm not shy about working hard. I think it's, it's fine to every so often work long hours, but that shouldn't necessarily be the, the rule. It should be the exception. Yeah, I totally agree. And if you, if you read anything about creativity and what, um, circumstances are ripe for creativity, being rested is, and actually being in movement, like moving right. your body and being outside yep. is really important. So I kind of feel like people that make statements like that, they think there's some kind of badge of honor or bragging rights there's around not, that. And it's, by the it's, way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the opposite. Exactly. What is a must experience? Okay. So I this, have... This one kind of like pleasantly shocked me. Yeah? Mm-hmm. from Coming from me? 
Just coming from anyone, actually. All right. Not okay. Yeah. Exactly. You, and that's why I wanted to talk about it because, yeah, yes, I could tell you, uh, I have been to Italy. I have eaten that perfectly prepared piece of fish. I have lived in France. I have been to places that are must dos. But you already know those are must dos. <laughs> right. And I did something this past summer that I thought was definitely not a must do, and <laughs> became a total convert. And it was, I accompanied my son. 13, my younger son, and my husband and his baseball team to Cooperstown, New York, Field of Dreams, which I went thinking this is something you do as a rite of passage for your kid, and it's an investment in the family, and, (laughs) and I was a complete convert. The place, I don't know how to describe it. It's completely magical. It's first of all, Cooperstown is just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of Americana. And there's a historic hotel there where you sit and have a glass of wine and look out at the lake. Um, but the real magic was first of all, I think part of it might have to do with just the pace of it. You know, you're, you're at this ballpark where there's no technology. It's very old fashioned. It's pristine. The fields are gorgeous. And there are a thousand kids, most of them boys, a few girls from every single state, including Puerto Rico and Hawaii. And, Mm -hmm. and they've all come there to play baseball for five days. And, it's just, there's something about it that was like time stood still. And my husband and I were the same way. Like we kept looking at each other, like, are you having as much fun as I am? And I'm like, no, I'm having more fun than you are. And, um, (laughs) the other parents were awesome. And it was just, I don't know. There was something very, I was so incredibly present and he hit a home run. He hit the first home run for his team. And, um, there was another game they played where their best game where they won 15, nothing. And the team that they, they beat, was now out of the tournament. And that team was so interested in our team that they came to cheer us on at the next game. So oh, it was just cool. like all this amazing sportsmanship. Yeah. It was so pure. It was so simple. And I just loved it. And, and I knew my kid loved it. And yeah, that, yeah. so to like to bear witness to him having this amazing experience. Well, and for those of you who work in New York, it's a nice little trip up. Sure is. Get out of the city for a minute. Yeah, it's really nice. And that's where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. Yeah. Which, so we toured that. And there's unbelievable it's funny like the kids all gravitated to the areas in the museum that were about modern day things like the locker rooms that they recreated but the amount of um artifacts they have like they have a whole room on babe ruth it's amazing yeah it's just incredible and i'm not even like a baseball junkie but it's that good that it makes you care it's a piece of america that a lot of people don't see yeah probably should what is a must read Oh my God, I am loving this new book by Adam Grant mm-hmm. called Originals. And the subtitle is How Nonconformists Move the World. Right. Um, I'm actually really excited because he's agreed to come speak at the conference. I always judge a book, especially a you know, a business book, is I'll I'll fold up the lower corner of the page if there's something on that page that I want to you know, type out or copy right here. Yeah. Yeah. You've got lots of little folds going. Yeah, exactly. And so after you have like 20 pages folded, I was like, wow, I need, I need this guy to come talk at 3%. But what's amazing is he's a Wharton professor. He writes for the New York times. And a lot of this book is about how creativity and ingenuity, a lot of it is about entrepreneurialism, how you can create conditions to make it more, more fertile. Right. Right. And, 
the reason that this book appeals to me not only because I live in Silicon Valley and I you know have worked with a lot of startups and things, but um, when he talks about um, the creative process, he says that if um, people that are going to be evaluating creative ideas spend 15 minutes before that process generating their own ideas on the same problem, that the results end up being much better in terms of what idea you land on and how successful it is. Interesting. So there's a lot of things like that in this book. So I, I would say that book for people that listen to this podcast that are interested in creativity is just filled with so many interesting pieces of research and takeaways and anecdotes. This is cool. Yeah. Forward by Sheryl Sandberg. Cheryl Sandberg, yeah. She and Adam co-authored a bunch of pieces in the New York Times last year called, I think, Lean In Together about the mm-hmm. importance of men supporting women at home so that they can... Well, we talked about that with you and your wife. Yes, yeah, yes, you have. are an ambassador. <laughs> so I'm preaching to the choir. What's a question you've never been asked that you would love someone to ask you? Oh, probably uh, how do you maintain your svelte figure? Bonus points for working the word svelte. Svelte. Yes, (laughs) SV. Yeah, that's probably a question I have not been asked that I will probably still wait. Oh, come on now. No, it's just, you know, I just turned 50 and uh, I mean, I am going to disclose that I'm sitting here in what kind of clothes? You're in yoga clothes. Yes. And why am I in yoga clothes? Because you're balanced. No. Where am I going at 515? You're going to a yoga class. No, I'm going to Orange Theory, which kicks your tush. Oh, that's right. I've heard about that. Yes. So I am trying to have a svelte figure, but uh, that's probably the question I would most like to be asked. (laughs) Okay. Here's where I compliment you. Hmm. When we first met, I was just kind of, you know, taking a step back and watching this. And like you had alluded to, um, I've had some very good men in my career, but it seems as though there's this pattern of very strong women. Mm -hmm. And I've been lucky to have sort of that balance of both strong men, really strong women as well. When you started this, when you started 3% Conference, um, I knew it was, it wasn't a matter of, is it going to take off? It's to what scale will this take off and what directions will it go? I'm glad you felt that way. <laughs> no, I know. Well, no, trust me. I, it, it's not, not an easy thing. It's yeah. definitely not an easy thing. What's been great is that when it started, it was 3%. It's currently at what percent now? 11%. So 11% of creative directors are women. Correct. Still very low, but going from three to 11 is better than going from three to 3.1. Yes, agreed. What has been most gratifying on that path so far? And what are the next steps to continue to move things forward? I think what's most gratifying is, and this might sound contradictory, is how easy it was. And I don't want to make that sound like it wasn't a lot of work, because something can be a lot of work, but be easier than you thought. Mm -hmm. I thought there'd be a lot more resistance to this idea than I've encountered. And so many things happened so fast that I thought would take years, most notably the decision by uh, juries to be 50-50. That mm-hmm. happened within six months of our first event. Um, and the Art Directors Club issued that 50-50 initiative. And it just, it all was like a perfect storm and it just happened. And mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget sitting in the Cleo's 
office and having them tell me they had made that decision and literally trying to keep a poker face because inside I just could not believe that this was the speed at which things were going to happen. Um, so what's most gratifying is that I was paying attention and that I saw something that the world was ready for and how easy it's been again a ton of work but easier like frictionless you know mm -hmm, very mm -hmm. very rare that there's been someone that's been in my face or you know finger wagging or or even disputing the numbers uh the world was truly truly ready to have this conversation and so it's so gratifying beyond belief to be the person to get to bring it into well you're a reality. catalyst you're you're someone who catalyzes things and that's I how guess. I, I would define your leadership style is that you're a catalyst and catalysts build momentum. Uh, what's the next step? Well, I'm really excited about the next step. Uh, we just launched a certification program. So I just came back from New York last week where I met with several agency heads to talk about enrolling their agencies voluntarily mm -hmm. into a gender certification program that my team and I built. We did a survey last summer to find out what were the things that would keep female creatives loyal because, again, there's a retention problem, not a recruitment problem. And this is the right time. And we're planning our fifth annual conference right now. The community is there. The awareness is there. The micro actions are there. The ambassadors are lined up. Like everything is in place. And really what the agency world is telling us they need is accountability. So we built something and that's the next step. You have the floor. The floor is yours. Yeah. Go for it. I think the thing... I most want to impart to everyone is that the more you learn about creativity, and when I say learn, I mean that literally, like reading this book, Originals, and reading research. Yes, what we do is an art, not a science, but there's some science to it. I, I always say I'm probably the only creative director that started in market research. And I think because I'm a creative person that understands numbers and is not afraid of data, that has been incredibly helpful in my life. And the thing I would encourage every copywriter, art director, creative director out there is even if you don't like data, do yourself a favor and read up now and again about what the world is telling us in terms of research around creativity, because there's so many things you can be doing to foster a more creative environment. And we all want the same thing. We all want breakthrough work and we want things that are nuanced and feel fresh. And in recent years, I think our world has been called into question, you know, like, is there a need for advertising agencies? So my final message to the group is make sure you understand how to make the perfect uh, environment, culture for your own creativity to flourish and for others as well, because that ensures our survival, um, that makes us relevant again, and it brings more people into the creative process. And I feel like diversity is the kind of thing that once you get it, when you truly get it, you almost become intolerant of anything that's not diverse because mm -hmm. you know it's not as good as it could be. I have experience in that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Much like the must list, if you got one piece of advice or wisdom to share with everyone, what's the last word? Okay, this is for the women. <laughs> and this is something, this is a quote I read. It's become my kind of mantra. And the quote is this. I used to walk into a room and wonder if people liked me. 
And now I walk into a room and I wonder if I like them. And the reason I say this is for the women is, and this is a generality, and I understand that this can be true for some and not for all, but I think women have grown up to be taught to please and to try to, again, get you know validation, like me wanting that client to say, that was mm-hmm. a great piece of copy you wrote, Kat. And so I think it's so, so important for everyone, but women especially, to get to the point where you realize that your own compass and your own sense of the people you meet is far more important than trying to gauge whether or not you have won the popularity contest in the room. And when you start to quiet the need to scan everyone and know if like they're nodding along or liking you, and you're really freeing up your own powers of observation to make better assessments about the people around you. Kat Gordon, always a pleasure seeing you, and thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> <laughs>